Welcome to Choice Classic Radio, where we bring to you the greatest old-time radio shows. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and thank you for donating at choiceclassicradio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the Granite Furniture Company, with stores in Sugar House, Murray, and Provo, presents... The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall ascend to the world of the unknown and forbidden, down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted, and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of Markheim. Granite Furniture Company brings you the Hall of Fantasy. Listen now to original tales of the imagination and some of the classics of the supernatural as we take you down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy to the mysterious realms of the unknown. These are stories of eerie and fantastic thrills brought to you by your friends at the Granite Furniture Stores. And now for tonight's story, an adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's Markheim. They said that Markheim's first great crime was that he had committed murder. That's hardly true, for no man can kill his fellow until he first twists the knife in his own heart. This is the story of Markheim. He was a gambler accustomed to lightning shifts of fortune. But on the eve of his greatest triumph, he couldn't resist that final spin of the wheel. It was his life against the future. He wanted the decision to come swiftly, as it had always done before. But this time, the wheel turned tortuously slow for Markheim. And once set into motion, no power on earth could halt it. It was Christmas Eve. Markheim was happy to be towed along an Angela's little leash. She loved him, or what she knew of him. Angela was quite aware of the power of her smile, and Markheim was aware of the fact that she'd been leisurely and charmingly spoiled. But even if it had been a great chain that had led him into this lovely garden, instead of a warm, sweet smile, he'd have resisted no more than he did now. For this leash would lead him to a fortune. More money than he'd ever dreamed existed in all the casinos in the world. Besides, he was in love with Angela. Mark, when do you plan to speak to Papa? Very soon, dearest. There are a few things I want to clear up first. It won't take long. Just a few days at the most. Tomorrow, perhaps? Tomorrow? Well, that's pretty short notice, darling. I'm afraid that I... Oh, I want it tomorrow. Yes, but why? What's so significant about tomorrow? I have thought to wait just a few more... Oh, tomorrow's just as good as any other day. In fact, it's better. It's Christmas. It's tomorrow or never. Angela... What are you saying? Oh, don't look so frightened, darling. I was only joking. Oh, <laughs> better. Only it will be tomorrow, Mark, won't it? You always get your own way. Always, darling. But I wouldn't have insisted if I didn't think it would make us both happy. And you think we'll be happier if I ask your father tomorrow? Of course. There's no need to wait. And, and I want this for a Christmas present. Christmas present? Yes. Oh, and speaking of Christmas presents, I have a very nice one for you. Oh? Not 
too nice, I hope. I, I mean, I hope it wasn't too... Costly? Oh, but it was very. I wish you hadn't, Angela. That is, well, I have something for you, too. You have? Oh, what is it? Well, I... Well, you like it. It's... it's yes, it's very nice. I... Now it's my turn. You shouldn't have done it. <laughs> Nothing is too good for you. Nothing. I hope it isn't too expensive. expensive? <laughs> well, it was. But uh, it's just a little trinket. I, I... Whatever it is, Ma, it'll be very nice. But if you weren't such a successful member of the stock exchange, I'd scold you for spending too much money on me. Stock exchange? Oh, oh, oh yes, quite. Well, Angela, I think I'd better be going. So soon? Yes, I, I really must. Then I won't detain you. But I want you here early tomorrow. Come just as soon as you possibly can. <laughs> the iron rule of Angela. Ah, but I love it, darling. Until tomorrow? Tomorrow. As Varkheim made his way through the dark street, the chill, damp fog soon dispersed the warmth he'd felt and the rich comfort of Angela. And the last word he'd spoken to her as he'd taken his leave seemed to mock him as he traveled in the night. Feudal gropings for happiness seemed to slap him full in the face with each new wave of the night gray night mist. For a moment, he thought to return to his foul, dingy little room, barren and ugly though it was. The thought of it made him shudder. Any other time, he might have found some comfort in his hateful little iron bed. Another night, he could have slept and dreamed of fabulous fortune, of an endless flood of gambler's luck, making him richer with every spin of the wheel. But there was no time for that now. For tomorrow was... He cursed the inconvenience of this moment. Tomorrow was Christmas. Suddenly, as if some henchman of the devil had whispered into his ear, Markheim heard the name that had been synonymous with resentment in his heart. That name seemed to strike faint but unmistakable sound in his brain. It was very faint at first, like the soft, tinkling snap of an icicle when it breaks. But it soon became a giant thing that loomed up so forcibly it was almost physical. It came without warning out of the thick fog of his brain, and Markheim suddenly found the name on his lips. Zeigler. 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 What do you want? Ah, uh, you, Markheim. Let me in, Zeigler. On Christmas Eve? Can't you see I'm closed? Open up. I've got to see you right away. All right. What kind of trouble are you in this time? Well, come on in. I don't want all that cold and damp creeping in. I've enough aches already. Yes. Merry Christmas. What's your end? You do a pretty good business here, don't you, Cyclone? You didn't come to talk about my books. What did you come for? I told you the last time that I wouldn't take any more of your stolen goods. I didn't come to sell anything, Zagler. My uncle's cabinets are disgustingly empty these days. Uh, he's moved his collection. I don't wonder at that. Your uncle is a remarkable collector. His items were rare indeed. It must have been quite a blow to him when he discovered that they were disappearing so methodically. <laughs> it was more of a blow to me, I assure you. He booted me clean out of the place. I was taking an awful chance by self-handing that stuff. An awful chance. But it's an awful profit, Zagler. What good's a profit when you want to get the yard after you? Well, if you didn't come here to sell, what did you come for? To buy. I want to buy a Christmas present for a lady. Mm. You pay dearly coming in on me like this. You know I put up my shutters and I'm refusing business. You won't refuse my business, Eichler. You won't be getting any bargains either. You'll have to pay for both my time and your rather a surly manner, young fellow. I suppose you can pay. Don't worry about that. 
then you can pave someone's way. I've done very well in the stock exchange, and likely as not, I'll do much better soon. My errand today is very simple. I'm really quite sorry, Zagler, that I have to disturb you this way, but it's a little matter I overlooked until this late hour. I must have this little compliment ready before morning. And, you know, a man would be a fool to deliberately harm his chances of a wealthy marriage. Well, let that be it, then. You've been a good customer, and if you have a chance, if you tell me for a fortune of marriage, I don't want to be an obstacle. Now, uh, here's a nice object. You'd let you certain to favor it. It's a hand mirror. Guaranteed 15th century. It's from a fine collection. Whose collection, Zagler? In the interest of my customer, I withhold the name, if you don't mind. He was, shall we say, somewhat like yourself. The nephew of a remarkable collector. The pointed remarks of his unscrupulous old leader suddenly flushed Markheim's column with waves of passionate resentment. They passed, leaving nothing but a slightly emotional residue and a slight nervous trembling in his hands. He took the mirror Zeigler held out to him. Surely you do not propose this for a Christmas present. Why not? Your lady should be very happy to have such a fine item. And every time she looks at herself in it, she'll think of her sterling husband. Your manner is likely to cost you something before long, Tagler. So you suggest a thing like this. Look at it. Look at yourself in it. Though I dare say you'd look little better any other way. But look at it. Your future lady must be difficult to please, sir. I am buying a lady's Christmas present. Not some monstrous souvenir of the sins and follies of the past. Certainly not that grim thing. You weren't actually serious about pawning that off on me, were you? Quite serious, sir. What are you made of, Zeigler? What keeps your dry old heart at work these overtime years? You certainly must have a few thoughts now and then of something beside your miserable little existence. Are you joking with me, Markheim? You'll find it on the sale price if you are. <laughs> Everything about you can be found on the sale price, Zeigler. Come, what's the purpose of this talk? Christmas Eve, man. See how the world scurries by outside? They're all touched with a very warm, friendly spirit. What does your life consist of tonight but a hand for grabbing money and a safe for hoarding it? Is that all? You've drunk too much to the help of your lady, I think. Ah, then you have been in love. Tell me of those golden moments of yours, Zeitler. Tell me all about them. I have no time for such things. I have no time for this foolishness either. Do you take the glass or not? No, but let's not be hasty. Pleasant talk, a pleasant walk, uh, how does that go? Well, pleasant it is, Zeigler, and I must not hurry away from any pleasure, even one as doubtful as this. Each instant is a precipice, Zeigler, a very high precipice. If we hurry, we fall and dash ourselves to a thousand meaningless pieces. Yes, if we hurry, we fall, Zeigler. Let's take our time this fine evening. Let us tear away the masks that hide us from each other. Who knows? We might even be friends. I have my books to balance tonight, Markheim. Either make a purchase, or I have to thank you to leave the shop. To be sure, there is no time for being friends, is there? Show me something else, then. Show me something else, Zagler. There was something in Markheim's voice just then. It couldn't have been the words themselves. It was a tone or a light that flashed in his eye. But it filled the little theater with an unexplainable terror. He turned and was about to climb the small ladder that would take him to a little object arc in a higher shelf. When suddenly, Markheim poised a little dagger high in the air. It flashed only a fraction of a lightning bolt. 
this for you, Zygler, and a very merry Christmas. Zygler plastered the shelves like a chicken. Money fell to the floor, and flesh seemed to telescope into flesh as he sent it into a senseless little pile. Markheim stared at it through eyes that had suddenly seen too much. A single tick of the old clock seemed almost to brought him into unconsciousness. His lips parted to speak. I've not heard. Each instant, the precipice. Yes. Zeigler, stand up! Stand up and speak to me! You are listening to a radio adaptation by Bob Olson of Markheim by Robert Louis Stevenson on tonight's journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. Brought to you by your friends at the Granite Furniture Company with stores in Sugar House, Murray... And Provo. And now back to tonight's story of Markheim. Markheim the gambler wagered his life and became Markheim the murderer. In one swift blow, he'd cut himself away from any part of the world he'd known. That's why no one can tell his story now but Markheim himself. I stood there, my hand still clinging loosely to the dagger, that hand that seemed to have no relationship to the rest of my body. I looked about me. The candle on the counter caught a chill draft and was wagging like the tail of an excited puppy. I steadied myself, for the room was heaving and tossing like a schooner in a storm. Hundreds of feet away, it seemed, the door was slightly ajar. Through this opening, a long, slim finger of light pointed accusingly at the very spot I stood. I leaped aside. A shiver of fright shocked through me as I realized the stupidity of the motion. I looked at the body of Zeigler. It lay there like a listless sack of sawdust. As suddenly as had the fright, a wave of calm came over me. I looked again at the body. It was nothing. Yes, there was nothing there to be afraid of. A hunk of lifeless something that had once been a man. The clock ticked on, but no longer affected the day of this thing on the floor. Yes, it was nothing. It had suddenly lost meaning to Zeigler, to the shop, to everyone but me. But that security didn't last. I looked again, saw the deep color forming about this haggard heap. That blood. It was still alive. What if it found a voice? What if this flesh should raise a cry that could be heard all over England and thence? Where? And it would take up its endless flight around the earth. It would never be still again. Never. Time. Time. I must have time. Oh, but time had such a raucous voice. Yes, what is time? A new precipice each instant. Each tick of the clock was a new danger. I picked up the candle, started about the room, filling my pockets with the treasures of art that Zeigler had gained so craftily and guarded so fiendishly. I saw things that terrified me, things that turned out to be my own shadow. I'd catch a reflection of myself in a rack of mirrors, rich imported glasses that sent a new fear to wilt my nerves. For each time I looked, I saw a hostile sea of my own eyes spying on me. A thousand questions flashed across my world hysteria. Why had I used a knife? Why hadn't I chosen a more quiet hour? 
Why had I killed him at all? And then there were more. Where was the servant girl now? When would she be back? How much time did I have? Yes, how much time? When would the world know of what I had done? When would Angela know? Oh, you fool. My brain became a racetrack for nightmares. There seemed to be something terrifying about the normal as ever rhythm of the footsteps out in the street. They must know about the thundering riot in this house. How could they help it? I began to fear nature herself. I expected her to break her own laws to accomplish my own personal destruction. Yes. What if the walls should suddenly fail to hide me? If the prying eyes of London should gain the power to see beyond nature's barriers? <laughs> then, then another vision came to me in this room that was pulsating so with clamor and silence alike. Yes. Yes. All the old women of London started to rock feverishly in their chairs and began to weave a rope with which I was soon to be hung. I knew I was tottering on the brink of the final shock that would send me screaming my guilt to the world if I didn't take hold of myself. But one thing I was rapturously grateful for, I was alone. I was alone. <laughs> no. must have time. Others will come. The girl. I must get the money. No time to waste. I walked over to the body, shoved it with my foot. It rolled over crazily and took on a queer, twisted posture. Face was pale like wax. I remembered the wax museum I'd seen as a lad, and that memory robbed the scene of its grotesque quality. I took new courage. I saw myself as a boy. <laughs> Yes, how horrified I'd been at those realistic reproductions of famous murders. Even the music came back to me, the monotonous chant of the calliope. The time came for me to act or run, but I didn't run. I grabbed the keys from Zagler's coat pocket and started up the stairs that led to his private apartment. <laughs> Twenty-four separate torches that led to the drawing room where I knew I'd find the safe. As I walked, I seemed to hear the echo of another footstep coming from behind me. Now I was at the top. I pulled open the door, entered, and bolted it behind me. The sense that I was not alone in this house was about to drive me mad. I longed to be in my shoddy little room, away from the eyes that were constantly dancing about in this house. Every man who walked became an avenger and sought stealthily for some scrap of evidence that would curse me forever. I thought of Angela, not long, just the length of a breath or so, but I heard her voice in hollow mockery. Tomorrow or never, Ma. Tomorrow or never. Yes. She said she was only joking. She thought she was only joking. I was before the safe. The finale of this little drama... I fumbled with the keys. There must have been fifty in all. 
and again the rush of time began to make me tremble with uncontrollable anxiety. Time, time, time. If I ran out of time, this nightmare could have no meaning at all. I shot a glance at the door and nothing stirred. Yet I was satisfied that I must be alone. It was quiet here. Even my heart began to slow down a little. Suddenly, another sound broke the stillness. It came from the nearby church. The organ was playing a familiar hymn. I listened. Then I heard it. A sound to freeze a scream in its making. The knob on the door was turning. Someone was going to enter this room. I was caught in a vice of terror. Slowly the door opened. And there... There was a face without a body staring at me. Who are you? Did you call me? I stared. I could do nothing else. The face seemed to swim before me. It seemed a familiar face. No, no, it wasn't familiar either. Oh, what was that face? It belonged to neither heaven nor earth. What do you want of me? I came to see you. See me? How did you know that I was here? You told me. I told you? Not directly, perhaps. Then you really do know me? Right down to the soul. Are you the devil? Does it matter? Oh, yes, but... But you knew me some time ago. <laughs> yes, thank, thank heaven you don't know about the... Murder. Oh, but I do. I came to warn you that the servant girl is after a sweetheart early tonight. She's on her way home now. Now? Yes. Shall I tell you what she brings with her for your Christmas? What? Together. Now you must hurry. Shall I tell you where to mine the money? For, for what price? It's a Christmas gift. What, what are you going to do with me? You know that I'm really not evil. I had no heart for these things. Yours will probably be a deathbed repentance. I have no concern with that. I'm interested in you only as long as you are alive. But, but why do you do this at all? Can't you see that my hands are red? Don't you realize that I've murdered the little dealer? Yes. Then why do you stop with me? Because your name is Markheim. Yes, yes, yes. My name is Markheim. You know that I'm made up of evil and of good. You'll see that they don't destroy the good to avenge the evil. You will help me, won't you? This money you're about to take, how will you use it? On the stock exchange. That's where you've already lost thousands. Yes, but this time I have a sure thing. You will lose again, Markheim. You know? I do. But, but I'll save out half. You will lose that, too. Oh, if that happens, if I do lose again, what next? Yes, yes, I'll start over with Angela. You have lived for 36 years, Markheim. Fifteen years ago, you would have shuddered at the thought of stealing. Three years ago, the name of murder would have made you ill. Who knows, Markheim, what you might embrace in the next five years? But I still have good in me. Tell me, have you grown any better at all in the past few years? I can remember when I was a boy. Yes. I still love the things that I loved then. But are you better than you were then? No, 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 no. And you still want me to help you get the money. Remember three years ago, Markheim? Weren't you seen in a little chapel? Yes, yes, I was there. I meant to go back. And didn't you raise your voice louder than the others in the hymns? Yes, but... Where are you going? We part company here. Time has run out. That's the maid, you see. The maid. What shall I do? Why not do what you did the dealer? Here's your last great danger. One more swift blow, 
and you can finish at your leisure. Don't. Don't. Don't go. Don't leave me. He's gone. My last great danger. Yes. There is nothing left to do, but... I took the little dagger from my coat pocket and crept down the stairs. Twenty-four steps to... Where? Tomorrow or never, Mark. Tomorrow or never. I can do it quickly. I'll tell her old Viger is ill. Yes, now, I don't crack a smile, Mark. I'm... Whatever you do, don't overact. But curse the thing that made me lose all this precious time with talk. Yeah, it's too late now, though. Much too late. Too late. Too late. There's no more time for you, Markheim. You again. Who are you, anyway? The door, Markheim. Here's your chance. Open the door. First, tell me who you are. Don't you know? Don't you know, really? No, no, I don't. My name is Markheim. Then you're... Door, Hello, is Mr. Seigler in? Are you the maid? Uh, yes. Then you'd... You'd better go for the police. I... I've just murdered your master. So runs the tale of... Markheim. Remember to join us next week at a new time for another journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. Tonight's program was adapted by Robert Olson from the story by Robert Louis Stevenson. Heard tonight were Carl Grayson as Markheim, Richard Harcourt as the narrator, Beth Calder as Angela, and Richard Thorne as Zagler. Musical background was provided by Earl Donaldson. The engineer was Nephi Sorensen. These programs are produced and directed by Richard Thorne. Remember, be with us again next Sunday night on call at a new time, just one hour later at 9.30 p.m., when the Granite Furniture Stores in Sugar House, Murray, and Provo will take you on another journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasies.